The 2016-17 NBA season is in the books. The Golden State Warriors are champions, defeating the Cleveland Cavaliers 129 to 120 in what was another epic yarn of a game in a series that was just incredibly enjoyable from an aesthetic standpoint. We'll get to all of our observations from Oracle Arena as the Warriors took this one. We're sponsored today by Quip Toothbrush. Getquip.com slash Capspace will give you your first refill pack free. And our old friends at SeatGeek use the Capspace code to get a $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase. I think I want to just start by appreciating the basketball that we saw in this series, really after game one. This is probably the highest level of offensive basketball between two teams that I think we may ever see in our lifetimes and I don't want to forget about that yeah I wanted to start with the Cavs too in that kind of a realm because Cleveland really did deliver in game five and overall there were a couple of a couple of laggy moments but other than that I mean LeBron was spectacular he averaged a triple double for the series something like 34 12 and 10 he was massive again another great first quarter he's been great in every single first or was great in every single single first quarter of the series and then the other guy who just he's come on in the last couple of games J.R. Smith the shots that he hits are just mind-bending in a series full of guys who hit mind-bending shots J.R. Smith had 25 points on 11 shooting possessions in this game I that might be an efficiency record for someone who scored 25 points like that's got to be up there and he was at 9 of 11 from the field overall 7 of 8 from 3 on some very very difficult attempts including one like 30 footer as the half expired another one at the in the third quarter fading away and in the last three games of the series he was 17 of 28 from three-point range I mean just and the Cavs overall shot 11 of 24 we'll get obviously much more into just the overall strategy of this game and our impressions of it but yeah I said it on the last show I mean these are two of the five best offenses ever I I think when you consider just what these teams have done in the playoffs, the fact that they played small most of the time, it definitely Cleveland had less answers for Golden State and made Golden State generally made Cleveland take harder shots with the exceptions of games three and four. But Cleveland was quite capable of making plenty of those shots. And it was really just an outstanding performance by them, especially in that third quarter when you felt that the Warriors were just threatening to break it open at any moment. And they had led by as much as 17 near the end of the second quarter. You just be able to withstand that, get it back within four points at one point. It was just outstanding, but this Warriors team ultimately was just too much. And I think that a lot of the credit for this game has to go with Steve Kerr because he stopped messing around in this game to a fairly ridiculous degree. Yeah, I I think that's one of the other big stories of this game was so Andre Guadalla played 21 minutes in game four, and I think he played something like 51 total in the two games in Cleveland. He played 38 minutes and seven seconds. And remember, those were both both halves he did the kind of what I've called I think you're the one who coined it the Nikola Miritich where he sat at the beginning and then played the whole rest and so for a guy who you know there were questions about knee soreness or things that might be more serious than that to come in be plus 18 and while he also had a good scoring night a lot of it was finishing you know plays close to the rim he makes so much of what they do better just because teams have to actually defend him yeah when he's aggressive but a lot of it was just him knowing where to cut and getting dunks as the cat Cavaliers defense continued to break down but 20 points for Iguodala he played and he didn't just get the Miritich he got the like one of the more extreme Miritiches you'll ever see he played 18 straight minutes in the first half to close the half and he played 21 straight minutes to close the second half coming in for Pachulia every time and on his way to that very nice 20.9 I thought that his dunk coming down the lane in the second quarter was a pretty big play and then the other thing too is just that in this one despite LeBron James's heroics and his 41 points Steph Curry and Kevin Durant outplayed James and Irving and that was really too much for the Cavaliers to overcome something else along those lines that was notable in this game was it was another one where Stephen Curry got to the free throw line a lot he was it was not his best shooting night overall he had 20 20 shot attempts two of nine from three but he was 12 of 15 from the line and those three misses were more than he usually has but 
but still getting 12 free throw makes was significant for him yeah it was very interesting the dichotomy between how he played at oracle and how he played in cleveland a lot of it engendered by ink the way they jacked the pace up at Oracle. I mean, this has been proven empirically that they play much faster at home than they do on the road. And Curry, you mentioned two and nine from three, but that made him eight out of 11 on two point. And he Mm -hmm. really didn't take hardly any two pointers in Cleveland. And you mentioned that, of course, the foul line as well, uh, had 10 assists, uh, another two big offensive rebounds and just Golden State actually out offensive rebound. I thought another big thing too, and Van Gundy was hitting this on the broadcast. I rewatched it before we started the game or we started the podcast was that they really made more of the hustle plays than Cleveland did and they just Cleveland just wasn't quite connected enough defensively didn't do quite enough didn't get the the effort and energy and I think it was telling and if if you want to see what home court advantage is about I think a lot of it to me this is just my subjective opinion is those kind of effort plays more offensive rebounding more pressure defensively getting the 50-50 balls those are the things that i think happen at home more than anything necessarily just because the crowd is exhorting you onward we also saw and we alluded to this actually on the pregame periscope which feels like a lifetime ago that the role players you know the idea of whether role players play better at home or on the road the warriors even if we're not counting iguodala in that way which you can go either way with that david west was big in this game patrick recall was a surprise i thought he was a positive out there livingston he was hit or miss but then the the Cavs backups just weren't as good in this game as they were when they were great in game four yeah they really jefferson 17 minutes only four points four fouls didn't have the impact on the game with some of the i mean he had a couple of offensive rebounds in the first half but overall just wasn't an irritant wasn't the type of player he only got one three-point attempt off darren williams had some moments defensively but oh of two on threes including i think missing what in retrospect was the biggest shot of the game a three that could have brought them within two and really maybe gotten the sphincters to tighten a little bit that that went in and out and then on the next possession he turned it over uh Shumpert only played four minutes again like he was pretty key I thought in Cleveland and, and Kyle Corver with 18 minutes I thought it was interesting that Lou part of the reason that they had no chance of stopping the Warriors was because Lou went probably to two minute much of his offensive lines especially I felt in the fourth quarter where he really didn't play Tristan Thompson at all very much early on he went to love at center also was playing Corver at the same time it was just very difficult to get a stop even though you know we saw lebron james late just rumbling in for a bunch of layups on andre guadala just I mean, he did the same spin move in the lane three times in a row and just no help ever came but that's when the warriors were up enough that they were kind of just in no threes mode uh and it was really too late for Cleveland because they just could never get any stops in the fourth quarter to start to make it interesting yeah i mean cleveland was scoring on most of their offensive possessions during that about five minute stretch late in the game but they weren't making up much ground and again that was partially about why the Warriors were going for that nose threes defense is because they knew that was the best way for Cleveland to make up the margin and as awkward as it was to see LeBron just drive in and get basket after basket because that's what happens when you single cover that guy they weren't really cutting into it and the Warriors were just kind of taking the air out of the ball in one of the strangest ways I've seen but it worked yeah it was a big struggle for Kevin Love in this one as well oh for three on three pointers uh, all three of which were pretty good looks six points did failed to score in the first quarter or first half gotten two fouls in the first quarter i thought actually they benefited from having him out of the game most of the time just because that was when they were able to start thinking about defending the Warriors. And then Love even was two of five from the free throw line, did have three offensive boards, but, you know, just was really, was not the same player that he was in his better performances in this series. And he drew a couple of big fouls, but not enough to justify it in that way either. Yeah, and and he was a game worse, negative 23 in this one, in a game of team lost by nine, and Tristan Thompson was only negative seven. I thought that the third quarter, though, I mean, the shot, making that Cleveland had in that third quarter I just like could not believe some of the shots that they made and we'll get to I mean our plan is I think we're just going to go through the entire game here and just talk about some of our observations chronologically as we went along but first I would like to talk to you about Quip. Quip toothbrushes have taken electric toothbrushes and vastly improved them. First of all, they started just $25, which is far less expensive than other electric toothbrushes. So they're named one of Time Magazine's best inventions of 2016. And if you just look at this thing compared to some of the competing electric toothbrushes, it's basically the size of a normal toothbrush. It doesn't have this enormous battery pack on it. 
in fact it's just got one triple a battery that you replace every three months and if you're on their subscription plan they actually just send you that battery so you can just plug it right in with, with your new brush head i really like it because i travel a lot and now i actually have room for my electric toothbrush in my dop kit with quip because it's just the size of a, of a normal toothbrush and for those of you who don't use electric toothbrushes at all i really highly recommend it i started using them and my sister who is uh, rather inventive she actually helped out with the dunked on logo in fact she came up with the name sweater teeth for when you just have like plaque on your teeth and you can just feel it and so now whenever i don't get a chance to brush with my quip i feel like oh man i've got sweater teeth again because i just like i actually forgot to bring it to my friend's house i stayed over there last night and i had to use a regular toothbrush and i was like man this is nowhere near as good as the quip toothbrushes if you're living in an urban area too they have this wireless mirror mount remember you don't have to like plug it in and charge it all the time because it's just got that triple a battery so you can actually just put it on your mirror and then put the toothbrush in there so i know a lot of people if you're living in like new york or san francisco or something you probably might be living in like an older place that doesn't have much counter space in the bathroom this will help you save you a bunch of space to open up one of those precious plugs for you as well anyway i've gone on for quite a bit about the product but i happen to love it that's why getquip.com slash cap space is how you get started with them that'll give you your first refill pack free and of course let them know that you came from us getquip.com slash cap space that's a url this time getquip.com slash cap space so the first quarter started zaza pachulia did in fact start the game he made it about six minutes. Uh, and the thing with him is it's not even sometimes just the specific stuff that he's doing. And he had a couple of nice offensive rebounds. I mean, he played about as well as he could be playing for that period. It's just the things that kind of don't happen when he's out there. Number one, it just, he gives a, them somewhere to hide defensively, somewhere to help. He's just not really a threat on the roll. You, you can't pass it to him in certain situations. It's just everything runs much more clunkily when he's out there on offense. And then defensively, especially early on, LeBron James is able to get right to the basket and they just, he doesn't have the mobility, uh, doesn't have the ability to get over and help. He actually was effective in games one and two a little bit uh, protecting the rim, but that waned throughout the series as they realized that he just you know was not a threat to block a shot there and so steve kerr about six minutes into the game went to andre iguodala uh but the Cavs uh, kept scoring they they started six out of seven and got out to a pretty good lead actually led it by eight at one point 41 to, to 33 and we'll get to how golden state came back there love of course got into early foul trouble one play was where he fouled draymond green in transition where green just pushed the ball uh that was a clear foul the other one though was a little controversial because he was engaged with Zaza Pachulia and was claiming that Pachulia had held his jersey but of course you know he does that to everyone else so that it was a little rich and then he sat out the rest of the first quarter but they actually looked pretty good without him I thought they turned to Richard Jefferson and while Jefferson wasn't really the linchpin of their offense or their defense I thought he did a nice job they, that allowed LeBron to do some things differently a little bit defensively and yeah I thought they looked better overall which was surprising also because that coincided with a lot of the non-Pachulia minutes, which is when they turned to Iguodala and then later on to Sean Livingston. But again, another factor in that was then the Warriors getting in foul trouble because both Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant picked up two fouls and both went out earlier than they usually do. Steph Curry actually looked really shaky early, had a lot of mishandles off the dribble. He, The Warriors had six turnovers. He had a couple of awful ones. I think he might have even had three in the first quarter, and Durant had two, and the Warriors turned it over on 21% of their possessions. I didn't, like... It really, this game almost felt to me like it was a game seven from the start, though, because it was just just because of the history. It was like you felt like, OK, the Warriors have no cushion right now, like that even getting to a game seven against this Cavs team would have been like a disastrous outcome. And if they lost this game, then the Cavs would have momentum. They'd be going back home and everyone would think, oh, they're automatically going to lose. And then, you know, Kerr played it that way, basically, like it was a game seven, frankly, like and with some of the lineups that he used. I mean, he played especially because KD got into foul trouble he played green at center for the last six minutes of the first quarter even with the the Cavaliers playing with Tristan Thompson at center now they didn't they didn't go with two bigs but Kerr when they did go with two bigs didn't care he just stuck with green at center anyway um and overall for the the first quarter I mean Cleveland had a wonderful offensive performance but I thought that really was more about the Warriors getting in foul trouble and screwing up and turning it over Cleveland had 11 fast break points in the first quarter 
quarter as well to the Warriors six most of those coming off of turnovers uh and that's why Cleveland led it 37-33 on a very fast 28 possessions after that first quarter and the shot that ended up giving them part of that lead I mean they were already up going to be up one was that crazy three by J.R. Smith which was not his only crazy three to end a quarter yeah Kyrie Irving also in the first quarter I think it was had a shot where he tried to draw a foul and just jumped in and didn't get the foul call but made the three maybe it was a two but it was right on the line we couldn't see from where we were sitting uh that was was really impressive so there was a lot of great shot making but the the one thing that the Warriors did do was they took away Cleveland's three-pointers and that I mean really the only lineup that they can play is green at center to take away their threes although they, they would have some success with West as well and a couple other observations from that first quarter there were 16 fouls in that quarter nine on Cleveland seven on Golden State it definitely I thought was kind of a shaky performance from the refs early on as well I mean there's a pretty weak call of Shumpert on Curry and then uh, McCaw got called for a foul on Kyrie where he barely kind of uh, bumped him at all uh, it also was looking like Cleveland was really going to hurt Golden State on the offensive glass they had four offensive rebounds in that first quarter and then another one on a, a loose ball foul but it, it just seemed like even with that being the case they had to just deal with it because they just need to have a better initial shot defense playing those lines with green at center yeah I think that's that's certainly a fair point and then something I think unless you have more on the first quarter that I think is a, a yeah yeah there was one other thing one other thing say. okay uh they brought in McCaw but Ian Clark didn't play a minute in this game and I thought that was the right move we've been saying that McCaw should play I thought that it was smart of Kerr to go to him but Kyrie Irving cooked McCaw early and McCaw did a little better in his second stint but uh McCaw does like to reach in and he was effective on Dame Lillard for example earlier in the playoffs and and in the regular season as well he's had played decent defense on point guards but Kyrie got him leaning a couple of times and really beat him and then Lou actually took Kyrie out and it looked like Kyrie was like looking back at Lou like hey like I just scored like two buckets in a row on this guy like don't take me out right now but he did he came back in while McCaw was still in there later and was matched up against him some in the second quarter as well but uh that was just an interesting interplay that I noticed I mean I don't know if you want to disrupt what your rotation is going to be but uh with Kyrie having it going maybe it was time to give him another couple of possessions against McCaw yeah I thought I was a little bit surprised that he pulled him at that point just because Clay or Kyrie was was rolling and when Kyrie's rolling I think you want to to ride him especially when you know he he's still it's it's different with him than with some other guys because he he takes tough shots sometimes when he's hot but he also can generate such good ones because his handle is ridiculous and his shot making around the rim is just otherworldly so I was surprised to see it a little bit especially because you knew that there were other times you could make it work but so where I wanted to go as we transitioned to the second quarter was I thought one of the most significant developments that set the table for this game was Durant picking up two early fouls because what that did was it forced Kerr to shift off of what has become the standard rotation and so instead of yeah I wonder if he would have done that anyway because he did it in the second half but maybe he did it because it worked in the first half um that's my but I agree with you like yeah yeah I mean I I didn't get a chance to ask him I mean no one asked anything about how the game went at all that's that's one of the things that's kind of too bad about these championships is it's always oh how does it feel blah blah and that's what most people are interested in I understand that but because nobody I mean maybe like the game seven last year where it's like a really close game close out either way you can talk about like all right what how did the actual game go but this for a game like this where it's like everyone's been thinking about them is kind of viewed as fate accompli that they're going to win it then you just get all right what are the emotions of this like blah blah which uh, which is fine but I, I wish I could have talked to Kerr about what the the decision making to actually go with Green at Center and I thought actually because you know we obviously like recorded part of our podcast last night and the fact that he had said he wasn't going to do this but I had a little bit of an inkling because you'll notice if he gets asked about something and he goes on for kind of like longer than you would expect him to a lot of times like that means that there's some like little thing that he's trying to divert or or and you remember that they were very protective of the initial decision in game four of the 2015 files to go to starting green at center as well uh on pain of death like no one was allowed to leak it to the media and so maybe there was a little bit of that for Kerr uh or he just saw how bad it was going with Zaza and was like all right I gotta do this but I I think it was probably the plan all along I would guess but importantly the best lineup that the Warriors played in this entire game in terms of plus minus and all that sort of stuff was a lineup that had a traditional quote-unquote big man and that was with David West David West was absolutely massive in the second quarter he came in at the beginning and then just sat for the last two 
255. And a lot of it was, you know, he was on the floor when good things were happening, but just you could see the difference in spacing because, yeah, he can set screens and he can make good passes and he can shoot. And so he functions in a very different way than their other centers. But it's not like Pachulia was getting much more mobile defensively. He's got good hands. I mean, really, the only reason why there are two reasons why you would ever play Zaza over him. Uh, I shouldn't say ever, but like why Zaza could be viewed as a better option. One is just Zaza is a better rebounder. And two, that West is like a little bit slight to guard like true post-up centers uh which of which the Cavs don't have any here uh so west really has all the other advantages over zaza and he showed why uh in that second quarter tonight right yeah and so he was plus 17 just in that quarter partially because of that what was in many ways the the key run of the game which was the warriors 22 to 2 run basically as soon as steph curry came back in the floor and the warriors scored on 13 consecutive trips down down the floor it wasn't necessarily that they didn't miss any shots there were a few times where they got offensive rebounds and there was one weird possession where their score was on a three second violation and so they got the technical free throw and then west turned it over but scoring on 13 consecutive possessions is really really hard to overcome and they were getting a lot of stops of course because the two part of that 22 and two is is important as well yeah and that's actually it was 41 33 and at that point i mean there definitely was some worry going through the building like games seven style that like like, I can't believe this is going on. Like, they looked really ugly offensively to start the second quarter where they didn't really have much of a plan when KD was getting trapped on screen rolls. There wasn't really an outlet for him. Uh, Kyle Korver was actually playing some nice denial defense uh, on Clay Thompson when they tried to get him the ball as an outlet. West wasn't making himself available when they would trap. And, and it was looking pretty ugly there. And then they started to get it, get it going with Iguodala. And uh, Cleveland's inability to score during that period i thought was even more their downfall than the offense although golden state did make 11 of 12 shots uh in the midst of that 22 to 2 run they took it from 41 to 33 to 61 to 45 so that was actually a 28 to 4 run really would probably be the better descriptor there give you some stats from that cleveland shot two for 11 0 of three on three pointers love jefferson and shumpert missing them lebron only took one field goal attempt during that seven minutes and irving was 0 for three meanwhile tristan thompson had a a couple of turnovers as well and i thought the Cavs actually looked a little bit shook during that like love would have had an open three bobble to pass in the quarter thompson lost a pass on the baseline that could have been a dunk uh, out of bounds and golden state during that period shot 10 out of 15 but five out of eight on three pointers kd three of four he scored 11 points during that run and i thought like one of the huge shots was late clock everything was covered up he hadn't dribbled yet but there was like five seconds on the clock he'd been holding the ball for like 10 seconds and then he just rose up for a 28 footer over lebron and lebron could have done a better job getting out of and i thought actually that just in general was one of my big takeaways is that lebron was not able to bring enough defensive energy in this game to really carry his team forward help defense rebounding uh on ball defense wasn't quite as good as it could have been and i think it really you know when kd was going like this it, it definitely tired him out and i think also like we have to recognize when are we ever going to see you know probably uh, and we can take stock of it but certainly two top five players in the league guarding each other like this and guarding each other even like without screens a lot of times too just like in isos one-on-one much of the game uh, i know andre guarded and richard jefferson were involved guarding each other guy but you know for half the game these guys were guarding each other and that was just an incredible part of what the the show of this finals was all about and that really ties in with the whole kind of the idea not that it was a bold take but to get kevin durant in the first place is that he made lebron james specifically made his life so much harder because it took away so many other things for cleveland and Cleveland didn't really have many other options. Jefferson had him, as you said, Jefferson guarded Durant a little bit, but not that much. And so LeBron had this really tough role where he's guarding one of the best offensive players in the league, one of the best offensive players of the last 10, 20 years. And then that limited his ability to be much of a help defender when at the same time, Ty Lue was going away from Tristan Thompson, who was another one of their
they're better help defenders yeah that, that was a, a problem i mean i thought thompson played more but you can you can point to thompson being out there as maybe why they struggled to score a little bit but they didn't struggle to score with him out there in the third um again the thing that was so big as golden state was able to get out to leading it 69-52 at one point was that Cleveland basically had five attempts from three through like the first probably 20 minutes of this game. I remember they were 23 out of 45 on threes last game and they shot 44 the game before that. So just limiting those attempts. I mean, even though Cleveland shot a great percentage, again, 11 out of 24, that 24 attempts uh, was huge for Golden State to hold them down that much, even if they were giving up a lot in the paint ultimately. And, then- and yeah, go ahead. And also, it should be noted, too, during that run, at one point, the Warriors scored on nine straight possessions, and they had 24 points, uh, including uh, the technical fouls, which we'll, we'll have to get to at some point. That yeah. yeah, we will have to get to that at some point. But before that, I want to talk about what happened right after that run, because I thought that was kind of what set the table for what came later, which was this. So Kerr saw Durant was in, you know, was in foul trouble and everything else like that. So he pulled him with 110 left. Yeah, and he had, he had two. He had two fouls. Yeah, he had two. Yeah, so. so I guess foul trouble might be putting it a little strongly. So Curry makes the free throw as he's taken out. So the Warriors are up 69-52, 17-point lead. Then off a Kyrie offensive rebound, he had a couple big ones in this series, including one in game three, which ended up not swinging the outcome, gets the ball to JR, JR hits a huge three, Curry misses, LeBron gets a layup, passed by Darren, then Iguodala has it has a dunk which he which is too early it's with six seconds left with the shot clock off or functionally off well like, I don't know about that actually it's funny I was watching it with my girlfriend because she didn't have a chance to watch the game and so she was like was that too early like should they take the two for one at that point I'm like if you have a straight up dunk or a wide open layup like yeah I think you probably should take especially when it's under 10 seconds and you're gonna put yeah, time it pressure was six, I mean, it was at six three I think that's that's the part of it but it was just it was, in my brain I was going they're going to give up something here and oh no what yeah gave- because yeah I mean it, because any team bringing it full court against the Warriors at the end of a quarter like turns into the monsters like as J.R. Smith proved with that great shot yeah and then J.R. hits I mean I thought it was a tough a really tough shot 27 footers the way it's listed makes that so then it, the lead in that minute 10 went from 17 to 11 about that whole technical altercation, I never really got a good angle on it if like Wes really threw an inappropriate elbow when he was engaged with Kyrie, but he does have a history of when he gets in those tie-up situations, like throwing some bows. And so I think Dan Crawford, knowing that, was very quick with the whistle. But if you're going to make that call as a technical, you have to call the held ball earlier, right? Because it, like basically as the held ball was being called, he's also calling him for the technical, which is like, you have to let him know that like play has been stopped or he's gonna just keep trying to like rip the ball away you know and then smith really just like got a running start ran in and gave west a shove and then you know thompson i presume said something uh untoward uh, to get his technical but i that that was my only comment on that i mean i thought jr and and certainly deserved it tristan probably did i again i didn't hear what he said but uh and maybe maybe west had something to say to irving that was uh inappropriate west will uh certainly do that from time to time when he's involved in, in physical situations but that was my only comment on that i thought it was other than that it was officiated just fine and it made some sense to me that you, you you sometimes you punish the people who get into the spat after the fact and i think that's kind of what they were getting at with the tristan part and and the jr thing is that those guys were not involved in the original altercation they came over and inserted themselves in the situation in I, it's hard to know obviously the full stuff without the context but I know the league wants to kind of crack down on that sort of behavior just because if you can remove that incentive, then it could it can reduce the risk of these things spiraling, which is always a concern given back to even like long ago histories that those, sometimes it's those players not involved in the original altercation that make the thing much worse. Yeah, so we talked about the Golden State's defense being better and Cleveland did get 33 shots to the rim, high paced game, but that's still a lot of shots. They shot 70% on those, including some absolutely spectacular finishes. 
and they shot well on threes as well but not a ton of attempts 24 for this cleveland team and they still overall for the game managed a 122 offensive rating 120 points on 98 possessions uh but golden state had 129 on 98 so they finished with 132 offensive rating but what they didn't do at all in those two games in cleveland they managed the warriors did in this game to force cleveland into taking 31 long twos or not long twos but twos outside the restricted area and cleveland again shot pretty well on those but uh at least on on shots in the lane but overall on those they were 13 out of 31 and also those shots don't lead to free throws nearly as often as well so it was and golden state actually got more free throw attempts uh held cleveland to only 23 and then cleveland didn't shoot that one only 15 out of 23 so that was that was really the math of getting just enough defense even though really cleveland shot making in this game was pretty spectacular i mean so many of these shots were contested and cleveland has special special scores in that sort of a capacity it's part of the i, I gained appreciation i tweeted this during the game it's just watching Kyrie. i'm sure it, it it works on television i mean i saw it with games three and four when we did the twitter nba show but watching especially it was in that second quarter when they were coming towards us the shot making that he had or no that was in the third quarter the shot yeah, making was quarter. was absolutely incredible and like you're seeing you're you like you're watching him and you know we want we've watched a lot of basketball we watched a lot fortunate enough to watch a lot in person and you're seeing him do things and you just go how is that possible and that's what makes Kyrie special is that he can pull that out and then LeBron does it in a different type of way he can create space and everything like that but to watch those guys do it and then to have JR on top of it when he was on was was amazing yeah I mean Smith was the guy actually was probably the most amazed by but Irving did cool off towards the end took some very difficult attempts and, and he was he wasn't able to get to the rim off the dribble as much they had more help they at least were cutting him off and forcing him to take long twos which he was able to make but he wasn't able to like get to the rim and do those finishes their help at the rim was much better again in in large part i think because of the quickness that they have to get over there and help i mean it's really sometimes it's more about that than even being big and tall at the rim especially against someone like Kyrie to just get your body in front of him or make him see bodies and pull up for a tough mid-ranger and irving actually finally finished with 26 points uh on 25 shooting possessions which is not for considering the overall level of efficiency of both of these teams and the amount of shooting that they have around them that actually doesn't really qualify as a great game also had four turnovers and, and lebron's line of course we have to say to 41 points 19 out of 30 uh, from the field two of five on threes and uh, eight assists 13 rebounds uh another incredible offensive game from him although they were kind of letting him get a little bit of what he wanted late just to take away the threes intentionally um but yeah i mean both of those guys couldn't match still the efficiency that kd had with 39 points on only 23 shooting possessions for him and then curry 34 points on 28 shooting possessions so he was closer to kind of where lebron was and it just it became just a little bit too much to just make contested shot after contested shot when the warriors were just getting open threes and dunks uh, every possession do you have anything else on the second or are you ready to move on to no no well just in general we talked about kerr not only did we see a ton of green at center but it was basically just run whatever you want pick and rolls just about every single time and you know it wasn't the off ball stuff they're just they're getting held like crazy they're like all right we're not gonna do that anymore and we finally saw the steph kd pick and roll just become completely unguardable in this one in the third quarter especially we saw it in the second and then in the third it really kept the Warriors afloat for a while as Cleveland was scoring incredibly well themselves and they were Cleveland does not want to switch that because that would have left Kyrie Irving on Kevin Durant and that just let KD get out open on the wing in space as they would just run basically a side pick and roll lob it up to KD then Lou adjusted and went with J.R. Smith on on Curry so that they could switch that but Smith couldn't really guard Durant either and then you know they started finding guys like Iguodala for dunks coming down the lane and your other problem there when they run that play is Clay Thompson's in the opposite corner I mean I tweeted out a screenshot of this and there's a play where KD is going in for a layup and on the opposite side three-point line J.R. Smith is not even looking at the ball and he's basically just like holding Clay Thompson just like by himself basically and they can also hold the weak side help there because they would have the other two guys while 
Steph and Clay ran that pick and roll, get ready to set a double screen wide pin down for Clay Thompson to come to the top. So that would engage everyone else, prevent the help from coming over. And it's just, it was completely unstoppable as a play, uh, even though Cleveland continued their incredible shot making in that quarter to the tune of 33 points on only 22 possessions, 150 offensive rating in that quarter. The best any team had in any quarter in terms of offensive rating in this game. It was Celtics versus Wizards-esque because I think that was in, in the early games of those series, someone had a 150 rating in like every single quarter. But I thought the third was fascinating for a couple different reasons. And one of them was the dynamics that were in place in terms of Kerr and then in terms of Lou with the rotations because Kyrie again came out when, you know, he had he had his moments both directions in that. But Zaza Pachulia, Kerr gave him about as much rope as he could feasibly do. He committed three fouls in four minutes and seven seconds. I think at least two of them no, were no. offensive. Well, three of them, three of them, he committed three fouls in like 30 seconds that, and then that's got taken true. out. That's true. Yeah, because the first couple minutes he was clean. But I was just saying in his overall stint, you're right, though. It wasn't in a yeah. shorter time period. I'm going to look it up. I just rewatched it. It's definitely like 30 seconds or less. He he committed two fouls out on the floor defensively on the same possession, I think. And then he held Kevin Love, committing his second foul of the series on that play, uh, where he just held Kevin Love preventing him from coming over when it uh to help out on, on a layup i just went through it three fouls in 38 seconds oh, really was hoping it could be a half a minute less but it, and again kerr was just like i'm going to andre guadala right away and actually played the whole death lineup for like six minutes and cleveland was still coming back i mean some of these shots that they hit right there was jr hitting a fadeaway bailout three from the left corner with the shot clock expiring irving got a cut and just went right into the chest of draymond green and, and shot a layup uh he hit a fadeaway over kevin durant in semi-transition tristan thompson got into the act with like a ridiculous layup over green lebron had that and one where he came across across the lane and basically just like ran into curry and threw it up over his shoulder and rimmed it in it was really and then the one really like wide open play that they got in that quarter i mean because that was what was so incredible about it right was i mean they scored 32 points on 22 possessions and they got maybe like two what you would say like really good shots the whole quarter and the one of those was lebron coming down the lane and then throwing the one-handed off the dribble lefty oop to tristan thompson who uh skied uh, on that play that was incredible and uh, it really just, just was one of the more remarkable offensive quarters that, that i've ever seen a team have to just the fight that they showed offensively in that quarter is incredible they just they probably didn't quite have enough fight on the other end to really make make just quite enough of a push to really make golden state swap the thompson shot was also big because it took some of the air out of the arena that that was the shot that cut the lead all the way down to four it was 90 86 and then durant came right back down hit a big three and that pushed it back up to seven huge. yeah that, that I, I thought where... that was one of the biggest shots of the entire game that yeah. and the darren williams one that missed um were two yeah. of the biggest ones for me and then that also yeah that shot the by the way out. that was the one that was the one where durant just caught it at the top of the key rj just kind of like swiped at it but it was still an awful shot from durant early in the clock and he just you know but he's kevin durant and he made it <laughs> like it's just he's like i'm gonna just personally hero ball stem the tide and he did it and immediately after that with the timeout Steve Kerr went to another adjustment which was he went against the grain and actually used David West in the third quarter and I thought West was was fine during that stretch they did end up technically getting outscored but that wasn't really his fault and you know that was, ended up being the final minutes that the Warriors played this entire season with a with a center on the floor yeah that's right they went to green at center for the entire fourth quarter and I mean, it was funny when Curse I asked her about it, and he had that answer for me on on Sunday. He basically said, "I haven't played that lineup more than like 16 or 18 minutes a game, and in this one, that lineup played 27 minutes. Pachulia played 10, and West played 11, and the rest of the time it was Green at center. And Green played 44 minutes in this game. Kerr, that was another one where he just brought Green right back in after like a minute and a half rest in the third. Brought Durant back." 
back in to start the fourth quarter uh after like a minute and a half rest uh he played 40 minutes but a lot of that was just due to the foul trouble he would have played more um really just uh a pretty aggressive performance i mean he it's the i wish i could have asked him but it seemed like he was really just treating this like it was a game seven and just we are not going back to cleveland and uh that was uh, I thought that in this one, actually, I think we were saying that maybe Lou had had the coaching advantage through the first four games. I thought Kerr actually did better with his rotations in this one. Yeah, I, w- I would certainly say so. And he went to his his best players and some of those lineups that were more viable. And he was willing to move off of things that didn't work more quickly, which is something we both have praised Lou for at other points in this series. And I thought that Kerr did a nice job of that in this one. And then that led into not saying we have to talk about the fourth quarter now, but one of my one of the more ridiculous things to me about this game was it was, you know, ended up being a clinch game in the NBA finals. Only six players for Golden State played in the fourth quarter. The Hamptons five. So Curry, Clay Thompson, Iguodala, Durant and Green and Patrick McCaw. I was surprised he went back to McCaw because McCaw had a pretty ugly stint in the first half where he really badly missed two open corner threes. But uh, he he was big down the end of the third quarter working as a screener in pick and roll. And I just like his composure just impresses me so much. I mean, he just he's calm. He makes the right play. I mean, he he challenged LeBron and scored on a layup. He missed one, but got his own rebound and, and laid it in. And then he had another play where Clay, although he missed the three, he got the ball for an open corner three, and then he passed that up to get it to Clay immediately. I mean, I think his just his ability to drive and just he he's very efficient he's almost like an analytics guy's dream where he's like all right i know i have the shot here but i'm just gonna try and get clay thompson or steph curry a wide open three just by driving under control making drawing help and he's driving to pass in a composed way that not a lot of rookies have so he he was good i think he's gonna play more of a role uh even if he did have have his struggles at times um well and he also had a big play in the third quarter on a putback it was this strange play right, where yeah, he that actually... Was the, he, yeah, the, yeah, I mentioned that one, yeah. Yeah, where he biffed the layup the first time, from what I recall. And yeah, it, it's fascinating to see how a guy like him can kind of get into different spots. Because if you remember, he burst into a larger role when Durant had to go out again in the Portland series. He stepped up and did a nice job in that one. And so just, just the way that his role has shifted over the course of the season, as you said, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what it's going to be next year, but it certainly looks like he'll be a part of the rotation especially considering how highly guys like Iguodalas talk of him and his work ethic. I will talk about uh, the fourth quarter and Cleveland's attempts to, to come back there. But first, this from SeatGeek. You know all about them by now. They're the inaugural sponsor of the Dunkdown podcast. They've supported us quite well, and it, you guys have supported them in turn because they're still here almost two years later now, exactly from when they, they first reached out to me. A guy named Will Flaherty reached out to me there back in, in the old days of the terrible audio quality. And despite that, they were still willing to give us a shot and say, hey, you know, a lot of people in our office listen to your show. We like it. We'd like to come on your show. I think that we were one of the first podcasts that they ever did. Now they're a little more ubiquitous, but they're ubiquitous because their advertising works. People actually really like their service. The reason why is they aggregate ticket selling together so now you don't have to go to a bunch of different sites and worry that you're missing out on a deal and then they also rank every ticket based on value so their algorithms are excellent i know danny has been impressed by them despite the fact that he has personal expertise worked in the ticket business so he would know and so now you can just go into the seeky gap look generally in the section you want to sit whether it's a concert, sporting event, really anything that has tickets, check out SeatGeek for it. Pick the best ranked ticket. And now you're done in a minute and a half instead of like what used to be a 20-minute process where you're still worried that you didn't get the best deal. SeatGeek gives you that peace of mind that you did get the best deal. We get started with them. Download the SeatGeek app. Go into the settings tab. Click add a promo code and enter that familiar promo code CAPSPACE. All one word. Easy to remember. We talk about it all the time on the program. And SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first purchase. That's SeatGeek promo code CAPSPACE. By the way, Dang, speaking of promo code CAPSPACE, I tweeted this out today. Soon will be avail- available a limited number of dunked on 
t-shirts, coffee mugs, and I think we might do hats too. There's only gonna be 100 t-shirts though as a test run. I will be letting you guys know how you can get your hands on those, but uh, the t-shirts are pretty cool. It's got the dunked on logo, the new one on the front uh, that's got the guy actually dunking. And then the back, uh, people actually thought this was pretty funny, has just like a little, like very small lettering on like the top of the back uh, that just says cap space, which is... <laughs> I just couldn't resist putting that on there. I, I thought that would, uh, it, I wish what we talked about during the game was, and someone tweeted this out. So I think it'd be pretty funny, but I, I don't think there's really a way to do this. If like every t-shirt could just have like some point that we were making, Danny, like, like someone suggested like Solomon Hill Pacers not picking up his fourth year rookie option. Like that would just be on the back of the t-shirt. Like every t-shirt would have like a different one like that. That would be pretty funny. We definitely need to make one for Feldman that says Bucks here. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't even have to say dunked on it. It could just say Bucks here. Bucks here. You can make an alternate dunked on logo that just says Bucks here. That, that's getting a little too far afield. Yeah. But. Other than the fact that, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks is like an actual like trademarked entity. So we probably can't. Use yeah. And considering I went on a little bit of a tirade during the last Twitter NBA show about how we weren't going to violate copyrights, I feel like I shouldn't do that in this case. But I don't even. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, we're getting far afield here. I thought that Lou, and this was the case as well in. In, I think both the first two games in Oakland when Thompson granted was not playing well Tristan Thompson but we were critical of him and I think rightly so because whenever he gets down he always goes for all offense and again it was Love and Corver together and anytime they went at Love in a pick and roll they either had to trap immediately or you know it was Love on a switch against Curry and Durant and that was a, an immediate disaster as well especially with the amount of spacing that they had around those two guys so it was and Corver he tries but just not that good of a help defender like can't get stuck on Curry on a switch either and they just they didn't have any answers and I thought obviously there are a ton of bad options but I think just generally you have to just switch against Golden State and if Kevin Durant's going to score over you in ISO or Steph Curry's going to hit a step back in an ISO or something I mean okay but that's better than giving up a dunk which is kind of like what they what they were doing throughout most of this game and but uh, I mean, honestly, it probably wouldn't have made much of a difference either. It was very interesting though, because he took, when did he take Love out in the third quarter? It was like four minutes in or something. It was pretty early on. And then he sat, I think the entire rest of the third quarter. And then he brought him back at center to start the fourth. Yeah. I think he played about six in the, in the third. But what I thought was, was wild was that Tristan Thompson played 10 minutes and 12 seconds in the third quarter. I thought he was looking pretty solid out there. I mean, not perfect, but solid. They were plus five during his minutes. And then, as you said, he played three minutes three and a half minutes in the fourth quarter so just say they're going like what is the rationale for for that and i it, it was surprising to me as you said the idea that when they when things start to get troublesome do that but the reason cleveland was in that game was because they were playing better defense and hitting some ridiculous shots too yeah their d was a little bit better in the third quarter uh at least they're forcing some difficult shots lebron actually brought them within three with the first bucket of the third or fourth quarter and then it was kd again another just like tough 17 footer and Kyrie missed a tough three Andre Iguodala uh, hit a huge three after that and they never really got any closer than five after that Kevin Love crazy and one on Clay Thompson where Clay was claiming that uh Love grabbed his arm but he also reached in uh and that was uh followed by a crazy KD three-pointer off a, a McCaw assist again another like nice composed drive by McCaw and that put the Warriors up eight and that Cleveland really never threatened again they got within six after a Kyle Korver three but then again that you know it was a KD dunk Andre got a dunk right after that put the Warriors up 10 and it never got closer than eight the rest of the way uh, something I I, deliver, I I didn't notice that when we were at the game, I mean, anecdotally, you noticed each one. Every single quarter, the last made shot was a three-pointer by J.R. Smith. Oh, even in the fourth quarter? That's yeah, right. he yeah, hit to... that shot with 18 seconds to go. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. That's incredible. And it was also a callback to game six of the 2015 finals where he went crazy at the end when it looked like the Warriors were already going to win and, and, and change the margin. The 2015 finals, yeah. Yeah. 
50. Something we haven't talked about, mostly because we focus on the on the game and all that, but I thought, by and large, I thought the Oracle crowd was was better for this game than I expected. They were tense at moments, just because you had the ghosts of Game 7 there, but they were, they were strong for the most part, and then you could tell their confidence level in that fourth quarter was kind of waxing and waning, and then once they felt like, okay, this is over, then they really let loose. Yeah, it was definitely, I mean, I mentioned it kind of felt like a Game 7 in there with the, like how tense it was and just what happened last year but it's so funny the way you can be in a series and then when it's over it seems like it was inevitable you know it was uh i mean i think though really cleveland lost this series really in game one i thought they played better in game two but game one was kind of an embarrassing effort and they really they should have lost game one by like 35 points like the the, to give up 34 shots in the restricted area in the first half to golden state i mean i know they're supposed to be like they're so hard to play there's an adjustment period we were just playing the celtics without isaiah thomas but and they just they did the same thing last year right like they should have been able to find a way to be a little more competitive considering how well they played later in the series just to not quite be ready to where they needed to be on either end in that first game i think is what they'll look back on and obviously game three as well but I mean, game three could have turned on just, you know, a few shots here or there, whereas game one was just overall a, a very poor effort from them and, and disappointing just because we saw that they were capable of so much more later in the series. Yeah, I mean, they they were competitive in three, four and five and they played. I mean, they didn't play better in game five than game four, but I would say by and large, they were improving over the course of the series and they got some really strong performances in game five as well. And I, I like that the series, even if it ended at 4-1, I don't think people walk away from this thinking less of the Cavs, and they certainly should not, because they, per, other than game one, they were, they fought gamely, they were close, they were in it for a lot of it, and they were getting these performances, and so you're sitting there going, I, I wasn't sitting there saying, oh, well, this team has, like, no chance if, the, if they face each other next year at full strength. I mean, it, it's still going to take a lot, you know, if, if that's what we get next year. Hope, hopefully, whoever makes the finals, it's full strength versus full strength, but I, I was really impressed with Cleveland overall yeah I I was too but they still they got to get a little bit more connected I mean they had some pretty bad errors in this game uh I mean when you compare if Cleveland with their switching versus like Golden State's communication defensively now they don't have the talent defensively that Golden State does I get that but and maybe players like Irving and Smith usually the miscommunication would involve those two guys just can't do it like they but like for example the warriors whenever they wanted to get a a screen of like kyle corver involved in a screen or kevin love involved in a screen they just had their guy kind of trot up there and they did it whereas when cleveland would try that the warriors would pre-switch it they would push under the right area of the floor you know it just made it everything so much more difficult uh and i thought uh, two things that stuck out to me about the, the series steph curry other than just a couple of ugly stretches he he held up defensively and i thought it was interesting like kevin durant's comments saying like steph curry is a big dog you know he got to the foul line for double digit attempts in the three games in oakland and you know they tried to go at him and they really had to abandon that and go after golden state centers and then they took that away by not playing said centers uh mcgee also didn't play it at all in this game uh but i mean when they especially in this game when they tried and i thought their execution was bad on those plays too like they weren't getting the pop for Kyrie or for J.R. Smith who was usually setting the screen as normal like they're trying to like roll to the basket and stuff it just wasn't didn't really work out as well they weren't Darren Williams when he was trying to set the screen to get McCaw onto LeBron just like wasn't making contact on the screen at all he was just slipping it and then you know nothing would happen as a result but yeah I think just Cleveland their connectedness and their communication could be better and LeBron did make the point that J.R. Smith missed most of the year you know Kevin Love came back very late in the season after knee surgery and and looked to be experiencing some discomfort at times as well uh Iman Shumpert I think missed a bunch of time as I recall too so it was really I mean remember in that Christmas Day game DeAndre Ligon started that game and he didn't even finish the this season on the team uh so it, maybe that really hurt their attempts to establish some defensive continuity uh last thing because I know you got to record uh, with Adam briefly here 
And are you ready to think about where this team is uh, among the greats? I mean, I think I think clearly to me, there's no argument whatsoever that this season's Warriors team is a top five team ever. I think that like there's really no argument against that to me. It's just how high do they go? And maybe we'll talk about that more uh, at some point. And, and Kevin Pelton said by his statistical method, based in large part on what they did in the playoffs, and they had a great regular season record and point differential as well. I mean, this this was probably the if you were going to combine regular season and postseason record probably the best i guess you could say the least bad that any team has ever been when you combine both of those two because they're outstanding in both this is really the first team maybe you could say the 92 bulls but they did lose those three games uh two after maybe the series already decided to seattle losing games four and five but in the 90 six bulls would really probably be their only competition in that regard i would say historically you are a student of the league's history more than i am so i am only going to speak to my own experience but the way that i have thought about this team over the last week is not so much in terms of the best team but i think they're the best collection of talent that i've ever seen and i want to draw that distinction just because they didn't always reach their defensive ceiling they didn't you know it took there was that adjustment period which is very different than the 96 bulls to me where the 96 yeah, remember when they couldn't stop anybody for like the first five games of the year that yeah like and, exactly. and i think it was almost exclusively i think just because they're having their centers lay back in the pick and roll and yeah, the patchouli being unplayable on defense yeah right i mean those guys just couldn't execute that coverage and, and their crunch time offense started, was was a yeah. big story in late december yeah. early january that's and right. so yeah. so that's why i focus more on the con- on the collection of talent like and i i feel comfortable talking about that at this point and then the team part of it, it gets a little bit more complicated. I think you're talking ceiling and floor and everything like that, but they're special. And it's it was amazing to see what this team could do differently from last year. Or last year, it was, you know, that they grinded out every single game. They went 73 and nine, but they weren't nearly as good as they were this year just overall in terms of everything and that it all ties back with the finals mvp kevin durant scored 30 or more points in all five finals games i think i heard that it was this only the sixth time ever that that's happened or maybe it's in like certain modern era or some sort of some sort of catch-all that i didn't hear but he was incredible in this series and provided the warriors a backstop in numerous moments and i thought that was really present in this game five do you think LeBron James, as of this moment, is still the best player in the world? Yes. I mean, this this series, he had a better series, I think, this year, although we didn't see it as much defensively, but this was obviously a much harder team to defend than, than last year's relatively crippled version. And again, by the way, like when I'm saying that this is really like some of the best collections of talent that we've ever seen at, on one floor, I mean, there weren't really any major injuries right now. Everyone was pretty much healthy. Uh, they were, everyone was playing really well i mean like so many all of these guys had like some really good games in this series and just the fact that i mean, look no further than the fact that lebron james had an incredibly efficient 41 point night tonight and the end of the game wasn't even close i mean like what other team could just withstand that i mean these teams are just putting up like a buck 15 a buck 20 on each other like it's nothing is really just incredible incredible offensive stuff uh I mean, and like, even like for the Warriors, like Thompson and Green combined to to go seven out of 23 in this game. And they still uh, scored incredibly well themselves uh, had a, I mean some of the offensive ratings in this series and just the amount of talent I just I don't know when we're ever going to see that again I mean even if it is these two teams again next year I mean basically all of the relevant players except for maybe Clay Thompson and Kyrie Irving are probably going to not be quite as good this year as they were last year or, or, or I'm sorry next year as they were this year yeah we should definitely appreciate this series for what it was and thankfully we got through it unmarred i even think back to when we worried about lebron getting a concussion in game three you know that those sorts of things didn't affect this series and it was a lot of fun and even though it only lasted five games i i was blown away more times in this series than i can remember and it was from a lot of individual players some great team play adjustments and yeah i mean it was it, it was a blast it was an absolute blast i'm unlike a lot of people i think in that 
I just like what is going on on the floor and the players who are playing. I think I can derive more enjoyment out of that sometimes than just the drama of, oh my God, who's going to win? You know, I just like the aesthetics of seeing like great basketball played in front of me. And again, we may never see quite this way. I mean, even if these two teams match up next year, maybe not everyone is healthy. You know, like that could, that could be an issue or, you know, players will leave or it will just be like Andre Guadala. Can he do this at 34? the way he did it at 33 to get like what you know six dunks or whatever it was today like maybe not so uh appreciate this and i wish we would have had more games of it but uh do you think that cleveland wins the series if the warriors bring back a similar team from last year oh you mean like if they re-sign harrison barnes yeah and barnes presumably would have shown some modicum of growth as he did in dallas probably not quite to that level i think the warriors would have been favorites but i would it would have been like me maybe like 55 45 for me something like that yeah i mean to see how well cleveland played at times it would be it would have been a very close series and so that was that was probably the one downside of of kevin durant signing in golden states i would have like to have had the narrative of it really because this whole oh it's redemption for golden state it's not like quite redemption like you got like another top five player in the league like you're it's not really you know for joe like it being like we thought we were the better team last year like this doesn't prove that they were the better team last year you know like this is you, you got kevin durant and you won the series pretty easily but it was uh, one of the harder fought seven or five game series that you'll see i guess all right, any closing thoughts before we go? I know you got to get on to uh, talk with Adam. Well, I, I want to thank everybody. I mean, what's fun and why part of the reason I, I love doing this so much with you is that this is, for many people, this is the end of their season or the end of their basketball. This is absolutely not the end for us. You, you oh, and I we're love, just getting started. We're just getting started, but it is a transition. And so I feel like at every transition, I want to take a second to just appreciate everyone who helps make this possible. And that is you know it's everybody for listening it's our sponsors for sponsoring and everybody for spreading the word because this is this is a life that i genuinely never saw coming and it has been so much fun i got no time to appreciate anything i gotta go watch some frank tilakina film as soon as we're done recording here (laughs) (laughs) no seriously thanks everyone for for listening also want to give a a shout out to my buddy zach at uh ucsf who uh played basketball against him today dunked on listener uh our our media game uh, that was fun i told him i'd give him a shout out uh, on the pod he actually we were, we played a, a game of 21 at, at the end with uh me bond temps uh, and him and he didn't score for like it was like 12 to 12 to 0 at one point so i told him i was i was i was gonna uh shout him out for scoring zero points and then he like went on a run and, and played well but uh th- thanks for listening zach uh enjoyed meeting you today and that'll do it for today's program we'll be back tomorrow we got all sorts of off-season preview stuff still to do we got the mock off season coming up the nba draft is a mere 10 days away now so we can't wait to spend all that time with you going into free agency talk to you all soon <laughs>